Elliot's face broke out in a wide, goofy grin. I taught him to talk, Gertie said proudly. He can talk now. Elliot stepped closer and removed the woman's hat from the creature's wide head, nearly stepping on the mess of wires and components from the guts of the speak-and-spell toy. You talk to me, Elliot breathed, his mind thinking of what he had been drawing in class earlier. An alien. A visitor. An extraterrestrial. E.T., Elliot announced. Can you say that? I'm Elliot, and you're E.T. E.T. The creature agreed. Authorized Crumbs, a podcast where we baroquely discuss the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. But they gotta be short! Crumbs and normal episodes are different and definitely not slowly morphing into the same thing. <laughs> Good point, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something I'm thinking about a lot lately. <laughs> We're just having fun. We're just playing around. Novelization. Yes. Well, you know, j- just to interrupt you, I-, I, think I-, I think I expressed this to you before, Hannah, but mm. Crumbs versus normal episodes... Are, they're becoming like irrelevant for the audience, and they're just they're statements of amount of homework for us. Yeah, how hard it's are like, we I working? Would, I would like I would like to read a tiny book. <laughs> this yeah. one will be a crumb. I would like to someday get to finish that book I've been reading for four months. That's just for me, not for the podcast. So, Same. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay. Novelizations are functional adaptations with some fun frills added in. These books send up the childlike wonder of a film by condensing and summarizing a story in a way specifically tailored to a child's palate. They also investigate and accentuate the grossness of their titular character. Who's gross? (laughs) A slimy little botanist (laughs) who himself could use some goddamn sun. They take us back to the 1980s, a time before moisturizer and responsible skincare regimens. A time... (laughs) When a three-foot bipedal burst... <laughs> yeah, do it. I'm sorry. I didn't read it in advance, so I apologize no, no, it, for everyone. I think, I think the cold read is part of the appeal. <laughs> this is the level of homework that I do. I don't even read the stuff I'm supposed to say. Whew. Okay, I, I'm a pro. I can do it. A time when a three-foot bipedal burst blister named E.T. could be mistaken for an actual human child. So neglected were the pores in the skin of American youth. Novelizations are like ads for vanity medicine. E.T. acts as a motivator to buy Accutane or prescription retinol for wrinkles, or maybe some vitamin C to liven up that skin color. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Hannah Blackman. I'm Andrew Overby. I'm Johnny Pomato. E.T., The Extraterrestrial, is a 1982 science fiction film directed by Steven Spielberg. The story follows Elliot, a young boy who discovers an alien life form in his backyard. Naming the creature E.T., Elliot struggles to conceal the alien's existence from probing, nosy government agents. Will E.T. be able to contact his home planet before he is captured or dies? Yes, he will. 
The junior novelization of E.T. was written by Terry Collins, based on a screenplay by Melissa <clears throat> Matheson. It was published by Simon Spotlight in 1982. Now, if you write a novelization that we cover as a crumb, you get done really dirty in the biography department. This, what I got on Terry Collins is he teaches a lot, and he wrote a bunch of SpongeBob books, like so many SpongeBob books. Yeah, and he um, lives in Mount Airy, North Carolina with his wife, Ginny, and on nights <laughs> when the moon is full, he still looks skyward, hoping to see Elliot and E.T. fly by. I, okay, I I'm going to zoom this in the, uh, in the, about the author. Light on information, but heavy on character. Yeah. Before you are introduced, our mysterious guest, do you have a little more insight into the Terry situation? Because you were you you did bring this book to us. I did. Um, I first need to issue a slight correction. Uh, Amazing that the book was actually published in two thousand and two for the twentieth anniversary. God, God it, damn it! It is. It is I'll not say that at the top. It is a perplexing uh, case where rather than write a novelization as the movie is coming out, which they did, uh, they decided, mm -hmm. you know what kids should do is they should read a book based on a movie that they can very easily see on videotape or maybe even cable. I also noted that this was a novelization of the 2002 re-release anniversary, and yet I was very surprised to see that none of the things that are featured in that very specific release and cut are in this novelization. I kept waiting for references to walkie-talkies, a uh, superf superfluous scene of E.T. in the bathtub blowing bubbles, uh, some weird overdubbing, but no, it's, it's just classic E.T. Well, we've got I've got some background on that. Oh, I can't so. wait. <laughs> so first off, just running list of uh, authorized corrections. Uh, I won't name who, but the author of Battleship did do some wonky tax stuff, but was morally right to do so. <laughs> and the E.T. novelization by Terry Collins was published in 2002. I'm a fallible man, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Our guest today, the... The proprietor, the creator, the distributor, really the entire supply chain for this particular piece of media, uh, of Hollywood and Spine, a newsletter? It's a newsletter. Fuck yeah. A newsletter. I've read it. I just wanted to make sure I was using the word that you prefer. No, that's um, great. The, a newsletter about, get this, the novelizations of films. Whoa. Mike Duquette. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. You brought us E.T. I did. And tell, tell us about it. Tell us about why, why you chose this book, what you know about this book. Basically, do all the research that I didn't do. Sure. So, uh, I mean, I'll get it right off the bat. As anyone who is probably listening to this podcast who knows me knows, E.T. the Extraterrestrial is my favorite movie of all time. It was the first movie I ever saw. Um, it is probably the first movie you ever saw. Yes. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, found a, the VHS in my uh, grandmother's house not long after it came out, uh, and was just blown away by the the design of the 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 moon and the bicycle, uh, which uh, occupies a great amount of things I have, including the very T-shirt I'm currently wearing. Hey. Um, oh. <laughs> e T for the, for the and listener. Me, for the listeners, it yeah. says yes. E T and me. Yes, and the the with the with the iconic bike image. Yes, uh, this this year is the 40th anniversary of the film. 
Uh, I know Universal is doing a lot of, there's going to be some merchandise. Uh, there is a great book that will be coming out later this summer uh, by a wonderful author named Cassine Gaines, who wrote a really, has written some really definitive books on things like Back to the Future, A Christmas Story, uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Uh, it's an official 250-page book. I believe he did some new interviews with Steven Spielberg and the cast and crew, and there's going to be all sorts of f- photos and things that nobody's ever seen. Um, so, you know, the no- I smell a crumb. <laughs> the novelization of E.T. as it was originally written by William Kotzwinkle in 1982 uh, was a New York Times bestseller, and I think for a certain generation, which I won't put myself in exactly, uh, being a few years younger than the film you know i wasn't alive when the film came out but um i think it is a touch point for the art of novelizations because the book it's long it is uh floridly written uh it features a lot of stuff that did not make it into the movie uh things that didn't even make it uh into shooting let alone uh the actual screenplay um and i was surprised you know i bought this book when i was 14 uh, because I was, you know, I had to collect everything with uh, with ET on it, and I was uh, like, uh, like you guys, I was surprised uh, that knowing that it was going to be a, a Star Wars special edition esque uh, re release in theaters, which I did see uh, and enjoyed it for what it was at the time, because I got to see it in a movie theater. Uh, of course, now it's you know it's not not the version I would prefer watching. <laughs> if you ask me to, but uh, but it is very interesting that it is a, a piece. I mean, it says you know celebrate the twentieth anniversary on the cover, um, and it is very uh, almost willfully ignorant of what the twentieth anniversary edition became with the you know the the couple scenes that were added back into the movie and uh, a couple of uh, cosmetic and aesthetic changes uh, that uh, you know the the ain't it cool. Uh, news types of uh, 2001, 2002 found very uh, controversial at best and offensive at worst. Hannah, should we drop the bombshell about our relationship with E.T.? <laughs> oh, sure. Hannah and I had not seen this movie. I want to clarify that I believe I saw it at the 20th anniversary re-release, which would have been, I would have been like 11, 12. I have no uh-huh. memory of that experience, except when I was watching the movie, whatever, last night, there's that one cop who's like, like crouches behind a car holding the rifle, and I have a very clear memory of him holding a walkie-talkie. Ah, Otherwise, yeah. zero memory of this movie, no relationship to E.T. <laughs> so yeah, I, I came in almost as cold as Andrew, but not quite. Hannah, this is oh, very and- out of character for you, and Andrew, this is so in character with you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm, the, the the fun thing I'm sure for authorized listeners is they, they hear about this podcast and they're like novelizations this must be run by some very learned film people and then they get to the third episode and I'm like Jurassic Park I haven't seen it but it seems the book was good yeah we, we were all um, very upset with you Andrew yeah, yeah. so all this to say now I don't mean to, I didn't mean to just completely change the subject. All this to say, I don't even know which edition of the film I watched. What would have been on Amazon? Uh, if it was this in recent times, since about 2012, uh, Stephen, because Stephen needs to be liked in a way that George Lucas does not. 
Um, he has since 2012 uh, sort of disavowed and and deleted from circulation. So if you watched it on a streaming service in the last uh, 10 years or so, you definitely have seen mm-hmm. the original uh, 1982 version with the animatronic E.T. and the guns and the, the line where D. Wallace uh, tells her uh, son that he cannot go out uh, to Halloween dressed as a terrorist. Which, which I think was changed in that cut to a hippie. She's very upset at the idea that he would go as a hippie for Halloween. Which is better <laughs> that she's like, I think a terrorist is offensive and you shouldn't do that. Like, good for her. She's correct. And the hippie thing is weird for two reasons. One, because if you do the math, like, she probably was a hippie. Yeah, D. Wallace, are you kidding me? That, yeah. She, she and, was quite the flower child. Is it? And, and second of all, when, when I heard, you know, back in the, again, the days of your, you know, coming attractions and ain't it cool, and I heard that this was going to be changed. This was, of course, it was announced in October of 2001, so we're a month removed from 9-11. And I thought about it, and I was like, I don't remember that line. And I've seen this movie probably a hundred times by this point. And it turns out that when the, the movie was released on video, and I guess Universal did not know this, the line was simply dialed out. Uh, it's just, you, you can't go dressed out like that, and that's final. And there's, there, there's like, a slight gap and in, in, in his, uh, Robert McNaughton's rebuttal. But, uh... So they now we don't see the costume, right? So it, he could be he could just be dressed like a normal guy. He could have been like, you know, because it could be anyone because a lot of it's <laughs> domestic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in 1982, you know, the, obviously the concept of of what a terrorist was. You think of you know people. I mean, obviously hijacking planes, but like, I don't know how ethnic it got in 1982 i don't want to dare fair to say that the costume probably had an ethnic element i'm gonna say yeah i mean you know he he, because he comes he comes downstairs with the with a bowler hat with like the the steve martin-esque uh the knife through the head and Mm -hmm. and a you know five o'clock shadow yeah he comes a hobo ultimately right (laughs) yeah exactly so much less offensive Right. (laughs) I do like that Terry Collins, just to dive into the text sort of at random, I do like that Terry Collins is like, oh, he's wearing the hobo costume as he has the fight about, I want to go as a terrorist. And Elliot thinks, I think he knew he was going to lose that fight. Exactly. (laughs) Because he's in the hobo costume. (laughs) (laughs) So, Hannah, what did you think? having your first proper experience that stuck in memory with extra or on a first name basis. Um, I hate to say this. I think ET is gross. The moment he shows up, I'm like, smush it. Gross. Kill it. Um, (laughs) Like, and then, and and I read the book first. So I was like, I feel for him. I understand his situation is difficult and he's just a little guy. You know, why does his family leave him behind? It's so sad. They couldn't wait another two minutes for him. Good God. You know, I feel for E.T. And then I looked at him and I was like, ew, I hate it. And that happened every time he appeared on camera. And I feel so bad about it. Because I know I should like him, and I like how he waddles, and I like his little uppy shoulders. But, like, yeah. I just, like, went back and forth the entire movie being like, I love him. Ew! Every time he, I saw his face. Um, and that will always be my lasting awful impression. He's a nice little guy, but he should go home. I don't want him in my home. 
you know. Usually the beginning of our episodes are me going, here is my opinion, and I am thrusting it upon everyone. And then we all but, go, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking so that Hannah's, one. I'm taking that one here. I know yeah. I'm wrong. I texted I Hannah, and I was like, I need a strong take for the intro. And she was like, he's gross. <laughs> and, I, and I said, but Hannah, it's a book. So how do you know that? And you you basically said, I can just feel he's gross. <laughs> I mean, can we all agree that he's not cute? Yeah. I like his eyes. I think he's got a cuteness to him. Yeah, I, I think that he has moments when he's well lit in the film that he actually does look nice. I mean, cute is, I would agree, no. Uh, but uh, there, there's something so distinct about him. You know, there, there yes. really hadn't there been another design like that in any any film. I mean, I appreciate that they were like, what if he looked weird? Like, we're not aiming for cute. We just don't want him to be scary. But he is alien, right? Mm-hmm. I I get that. I appreciate it. There are moments when he's like wearing a blanket and he's a little guy. And I'm like, okay, he's cute. <laughs> I don't those know where the, the those line are the is. Best. Those are great moments. So but uh, I mean, you know, because of course, Carl Rambaldi, who designed E.T., who had done the the aliens that come out of the mothership in Close Encounters and the, the head for the xenomorph in the original alien so he was obviously uh, an expert in 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 sort of balancing that sort of awe and oh mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i think it's a very effective little alien absolutely it would take a lot for me to come around to him <laughs> if he was in my closet you know that's all hannah what did you think of the actual film et not his sp- oh. you were you're, you're judging him based on attractiveness Sorry. um what did you what would did you think hate. of the movie okay. It's sweet. I love those kids. They're so pure-hearted. It's a lovely little movie, right? It's super sweet. It's cute. It's nice. It is I think nice. it's important that the FBI guys or whatever want to shoot these kids with guns because they're trying to escape with an alien. Like, I think that's an important part of mm-hmm. the movie, and our good buddy Steven was wrong to change that. The movie doesn't really ramp up the threat level until the very end when they have the guns. Like, when they're all hanging out with the government, I was like, what is going on here? The government is being chill. Everyone seems really nice. Shouldn't there be more tension occurring? Well, I think Mr. also... Mr. is nice. Yeah, Mr. Keys He's is super nice, nice. Well, and I think part of the reason for that, and, and, and Peter Coyote is so gentle and uh, non-threatening, uh, I think it's a while, sort of, before you're totally sure that this is the government, because it could just be some nerdy astronomers. You know, they're, they're just, they seem so happy about the alien. You'd think that the government would be meaner and, uh, uh, you know, they, they just take the alien right out of the house. It's crazy that they set up this compound in the house instead of, like, you know, just packing them up in a, in a crate and saying goodbye, you've, you've, you know, wipe their memories or, you know, worse. Right, and it's, it's interesting how... Um immediately transform almost immediately transformed you know you're existing on sets and locations that you've been dealing with for an hour and a half or so and when they're put under plastic and got wires coming out of them and people in hazmat suits um it looks completely disorienting yeah it's so cold and it's it it really you know everything sort of exists in you know i mean in literal abstract obviously everybody being most of the adults being in shadow or seen from behind, um, and then when it when you get a, a more palpable sense of that these are people, that these are actual, you know, it it, it it humanizes them a little bit, but I think it also does make it very unusual because you just you don't know what the deal is with any of these people um, beyond keys, perhaps, um, and he you know gets and 
Peter, who I, I love him as an actor. He is he gets some really lovely moments um, that for me are where the tears start coming when he uh, speaks to Elliot when he's sick and you know s- says, you know, I'm glad he met you first. That you did the best that anybody could do. Uh, that is where that's where that's where my wife needs to start consoling me. I think we're all going to have a good cry before the end of this episode. <laughs> Perhaps. I think you're really overestimating, you know, yes, not my ability you, to be tender. <laughs> yeah. I'm like very, I'm very coarse on the inside. Um, so the thing with the spacesuits uh, doesn't make any sense. And I, I'm, I'm often the guy who's like saying that things don't make sense and, and ruining the fun. I will say in this case... It doesn't make any sense that they're, like, breaking into her house in space suits as opposed to, like, hazmat suits. But it's so cool, I for once don't care. I was like, you know what, if if your goal was to get this image at all costs, then I accept the cost. Here's my theory on that, is, uh, you know, they know that they don't want to be exposed to whatever is in the air in this house from the alien and everything. Uh, Maybe they didn't have enough hazmat suits to go around, but hey, what was it two days ago? Halloween. Uh, Who who went as a (laughs) spaceman for Halloween? Oh, oh, uh, like three of you? Okay, can we borrow your spaceman suits for Halloween? And yeah, there you go. That's amazing. Maybe. Reading the book, I really thought they were hazmat suits, and then I saw Andrew's, like, letterbox review that was like, what's up with the spacemen? And I was like, okay, come on, man. Then they're literally astronaut suits, and I couldn't (laughs) believe it. I was so shocked. And that whole sequence of them coming in from different angles through, like, she, it's like, has, like, almost a proto-Jurassic Park feeling to it, where Dewas is, like, holding her kids and trying to it's really like what a little sequence yeah. that like breaks the, dis- the movie in half. The disorientation of of them accidentally setting off the train set, mm-hmm. and it's like I think it, I yes. think it is going in reverse as the 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 astronaut is reaching through the blinds and and sort of securing the perimeter. And um, I will say, as a child, it really. Um, it really set me up for a lot of disappointment knowing, as I did, that spacemen did not just walk the Earth normally. <laughs> you know, outside of the the film and the Universal Studios attraction upon which the film, you know, based on the film, um, you don't really see uh, guys in NASA suits and, you know, boots kind of clomping around. And, so uh, <laughs> and it sucks, frankly. I think we should maybe uh, try to change that if we can. Yeah, as if anything, it's it's a it's a style choice that that it would be nice if it caught on. Johnny Pomata. Yeah. I the, the most unexpected question I could possibly ask: What was your relationship to the film E.T.? Well, I I will be the representative of uh, the host who was born when the movie came out. Uh, this was it's an audio format, Johnny. They don't need to know. They don't need to <laughs> you know. Always bring it up. I'm an old old man. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, it is uh, not the first film that I saw uh, theatrically, but it is one of the first films I remember seeing. Uh, and uh, I, I th- it, it, and it was past its, you know, theatrical run, which did last almost a year. It was that big of a hit. But I think, wow. like, our church rented a theater or something for an event and uh, took us to it, and uh, it, it made quite an impression. And part of that being, uh, it, since E.T. was so popular, by the time I saw the movie, and I was uh, two, maybe, uh, 
you still knew who E.T. was because it was everywhere. There were there were dolls. There were uh, you know the, the the famous video game that my friends had, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know it was just the uh, breakfast cereal. It, it was all over the place. You knew who E.T. was in the way that you know you wouldn't have had to have seen Star Wars to uh, catch a glimpse of R two D two and C three P O. You know they they were you know constantly on the Muppet Show or, or making various appearances. Um, and so yeah, E.T. was uh, yeah I, I agree, Hannah. I don't think I ever found him cute. But um, endearing, comforting, there was that, like, thing of, uh, oh, this is the alien who's friends with a boy like you. And uh, and so you 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 did have this 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 bond even before, like, seeing the movie. You knew that E.T. was safe and he was good. And, uh, yeah, I, I love this movie. It's, it's one of my uh, favorite films ever. It's one of my very favorite Spielberg movies and, and maybe my favorite if you catch me on the right day. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's like a top three that sort of changed positions here and there. And um, uh, I was worried about reading this novelization because it is a junior novelization and I wasn't sure if it was going to adhere to some of the weirdness of the 2002 release or what, but either way, I was worried that it was going to be really dumbed down. And that's what I love Mm -hmm. about the movie is that it doesn't talk down to the kids. It doesn't, I mean, it is amazing that that movie was such a huge hit and that it had all this mass appeal because if that movie came out now, and I think a lot of people find this out if you show it to young kids, Kids don't really like it. They don't understand because it doesn't look like kids' movies now. It doesn't look like any movie Mm -hmm. now. And uh, there's a lot of subtleties in that film that uh, you might not even pick up on initially because it's nothing spelled out like even the uh it is a little more in the novelization but uh like even the the divorce thing is you find out where i mean you you understand that she's a single mother but uh you know when uh it's like oh he's in mexico with sally it's like oh that's like your 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 entry point to this in the novelization mm-hmm. they they there's whole conversations about the separation and all but um so initially I was worried about the novelization, but I actually thought it was pretty decent overall uh, for a uh, a junior novelization. It didn't just regurgitate the dialogue from the film. And um, aside from a few things that oversimplify it, uh, I, I think it's an okay assessment of the film. I have a question for you guys with this book. So my edition mm-hmm. appears to have been published in London and so has weird British vernacular stuff in it. Fascinating. Whoa. Did you guys have that? No. No? No. (laughs) So I buy almost all my novelizations used, and I guess this one came from the UK. But there's, you know, I mean, it was disorienting for me to be like, he took his torch out back. Like, E.T. lives in his cupboard. They eat burgers and chips. And I was like, I hate this. Why is this happening to me? (laughs) Fascinating. I couldn't. And I'm okay. So I'm glad to know that it's not like every copy of this book is bizarrely like that. Who's the the listed publisher? Um, It's funny because it looks just like yours, doesn't it? It looks exactly like mine. Yeah. Um, Pocket books. An imprint of Simon & Schuster UK Africa House. Yeah. We have Simon Spotlight. Oh. Hmm. So... Hmm. Yeah. There you go. Okay, well, asked and answered. I'm glad none of you had to suffer through that. Which makes sense because the Britishism for Spotlight is pocket. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, just a little educational moment. I am a tutor on the side. Hit me up if you need, if you're in the Chicago area. <laughs> also for retrieving magnets. Either one. Yeah. Um, it's geographically specific, though, so don't hit me up from, like, California. Um, so, Mike. Yes. If I understood the context you provided correctly, this is not a novelization that was like 
shelved. It was specifically commissioned in the new millennium. Yes. It's a post 9-11 interpretation of E.T. Yes, that's, that is correct. That is so interesting. What did you guys think of the actual like text, of the writing style? Because I felt like it made some very strange but kind of compelling choices. The, the, the first one I'll just point out is that on like page six, when we're just getting to know how this guy writes, the top of page six, he goes, in their chest glowed red heart lights. They seem to use them to speak to each other without words, which seems like a pretty normal sentence, except we don't see this language very often in novelizations where the narrator is going like, I don't fucking know. Seems like they're doing that. You know, sort of encapsulating like the perspective of a viewer of the movie as opposed to a writer of the story. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, so Kotzwinkel's book from 1982, it was a, you know, 200 and something page novel. There Mm -hmm. was there was a young readers edition that I owned. There was a storybook Mm -hmm. edition that I owned. And basically all the differences are, are length. And Kotzwinkel's prose is almost exactly the opposite of Collins, where first of I mean, first of all, there's a lot of perspective from E.T.'s point of view. Um, which is fascinating because it, it, it almost he almost it almost seems that he kind of tolerates Elliot at first, which is a very a very different read on you know if you see the movie it's like they have this bond, um, whereas it's almost like what what is this you know this weird bipedal you know freak is like telling me about action figures or something, and. Um, also, Kotzwinkel, he is trying to pull every um, synonym for old wrinkled alien that he can. The, <laughs> the, the archaic traveler, the wizened cosmic explorer. Um, and so re- reading reading this back again, I was almost, bo- you know, I Hollywood's fine. We covered uh, Kotzwinkel's E.T. Uh, a, couple, a couple years ago. And um, going back to this one, where it really just, it, it doesn't, you know, at first I was I was like I was is this too simple? Which I don't think is 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 the case because again you're thinking uh, an eight to ten year old in two thousand and two um, that probably does make sense. Uh, you know, I was fourteen when I read it at first, so of course I was like okay. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's it's just it is fa- uh, you know it is a great way of um, kind of drawing people in of like you know it doesn't. It, it doesn't. Um, how do I put this? It doesn't. Uh, it lets you do some of the work as a reader, I guess, rather than saying this is what is Play, playing to the intelligence of the of the audience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So ET is like a grown up. He's like an adult. In the, yeah, in Kotzwinkel's novelization, it was established that he was ten million years old. Good. Yeah. Wow. And that's old for his people? Uh, it is. <laughs> well, as we find out in Kotzwinkel's authorized sequel, E.T. The Book of the Green Planet, oh, published we're in. We're going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> people, people have E.T. fever this year. If you're. Yeah, if and you are no, horned well, up. We actually have other guests later in the year coming on to do Kotzwinkel and The Book of the Green Phenomenal. Planet. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. So. So to our listeners, look out for that. You're getting so much more ET. You're getting than so much ET. Last Honestly, year we went probably, hard on the sixth sense. Yes. This year we're going mm-hmm. hard on ET. 
Yes. Also, that was this year, Hannah. <laughs> Time is fake. <laughs> well, we can we can just tell Universal where to where to send the checks. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I guess totally. I ask the question because. Like, the story of Elliot and E.T. really feels like two weird children finding each other, finding some comfort, and then saying, like, I'll always be here for you, but you got to go home or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so the concept that E.T. is a grown-up who's like, okay, weird child, (laughs) will you help me build a machine, is, like, feels so counterintuitive to, like, the heart of the story for me. And I like that Collins' version is so not from E.T.'s perspective, and when you get little touches of him, he's really just like a, a creature of wonder in the same way that yeah. Elliot is towards E.T. Exactly. I think that's a great writing choice and narrative decision, and I, I liked it a lot. Speaking to Johnny's point about it being a kid's movie that is sort of going at a different pace than kid's movies these days, I think one of the strengths of the Collins book is that its use of like condensation, that's not what that means, condensing, my book is very wet. It's because you've been crying into it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you feel so exactly. bad for that little ugly man. <laughs> um, I've got my humidifier cranked up. I'm reading E.T. by Terry Collins. Um, no, I, uh, I think that the book does a good job of taking a movie that might be a little, quote-unquote, boring for a child these days and making it into something that's zippier and more propulsive for a young mind. Yes, it is. uh, I I think, uh, as I alluded to earlier, it is um, uh, more concise, uh, but it doesn't, like, hold your hand too much, and it doesn't talk down to you. It it does spell it out a little more and uh, fleshes out some of these uh, things that are maybe just alluded to in the film. Uh, But, yeah, so it's it's not as uh, richly detailed as the... uh, Kotzwinkel is it book? Kotzwinkel. Kotzwinkel. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, it, it gets the job done. I, I am really looking forward to reading the other book though because I did read it as a kid and I remember thinking it's phenomenal as a novelization. It's uh, I, I remember it being really good, so I, I'm excited to get back into that. But yeah, th- this is. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what seeing what happens when this fucker goes to the green planet. Yeah, I, I me too. <laughs> I, my uh, relation with the green planet only comes from the universal attraction. So, is that ET's home planet? It, it is. is. Yeah, it, okay. it must be. Okay. Yeah. So I have like a million questions about the concept of little E.T., uh, but we don't have to get into those. Maybe those will be answered in separate books. No, I just feel like everything. I'm like, he's a little botanist. What are they doing? They're exploring our plant life. Why? I read on IMDb trivia that he is himself a plant creature. Crazy. Is that true? That was something that Stephen, I think around the time uh, when the movie got reissued, it was sort of a behind-the-scenes fact that kind of came out that he did not see E.T. as explicitly male or female, but that he was more of a plant, which, without getting too much into the into the next books, uh, that, that is kind of addressed a little bit. Uh, y- you know, you might get a little more than you bargained for on how uh, these guys proliferate. Oh, and dear. Now- <laughs> Michael, I know you, I'm sure you know this, but E.T. <laughs> is voiced by an actress. Uh, I don't know if Hannah and uh, Andrew are aware of who voiced E.T. So there's a so there's a couple answers to this trivia question. <laughs> uh, if you're thinking of Deborah Winger, mm, I, I was okay. So Deborah, so Deborah apparently 
um, ended up doing a lot of... So, on set, Steven did a weird little man voice, uh-huh. which is wild. Uh, <laughs> Deborah apparently did a, cu- like a couple of... I think she ended up doing a couple of sound effects bits. She actually, she is in the movie, very briefly. Uh, yes, yeah. She is uh, uh, under uh, Halloween mask uh, in the uh, from one of E.T.'s POV shots. The, the person who did the voice ultimately was a woman uh, named Pat Welsh. Yes, who, who is also the voice of Regan in Reagan in uh, in The Exorcist, right? Or Possessed Reagan. Oh, that that I didn't know. The 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 other credit I know she had or uncredit is um I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right but but the voice of uh I believe Bosch which is the uh the Princess Leia disguise going into Jabba's palace. Mm. Oh. Yes, um, yeah. Those because uh, the story goes that um Ben Burt, the sound designer to ET as well as Star Wars and Raiders and countless others. Um, the story goes that he was in a camera shop trying to figure out how am I going to get this voice and he hears this woman over his shoulder with this really low raspy voice and it turns out she had been like a two pack a day smoker she was uh an aspiring actress in the 40s nothing ever she never had uh, you know i don't think she ever really was in anything um he you know just got a hold of her and said would you like to record something for this movie he uh, coaxed her into removing her dentures apparently um and uh that's how he got the voice yeah, it's a that's a great voice. Yeah, it is. And it's interesting. I didn't realize that Winger was entirely cut. I thought that they each voiced different parts of E.T. during, mm. you know, since since uh, his voice fluctuates uh, as he yes. learns more English. But yeah, that, that does make sense. I, I did know that. Uh, and yeah, if you do watch The Exorcist and and uh, Return of the Jedi, for that matter, it is pretty distinct. Like, you know, side by side by side, they are kind of the same thing. I mean, I'd like E.T. best when he speaks, yeah. like when he sort of snorts and snuffles and stuff. I love that. And then when he's like, meh, 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 little guy, like, I love him. Um, I think the more like childlike and sort of like nonverbal he is, I'm like, oh, a baby. I want to protect it. That's, and the more I'm I like, oh, exactly an adult right. alien, I'm like, disgusting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Why is this 10 million year old dude hanging out with a child? Yeah. And he came across the galaxy for it? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, explain something crucial to me, please. How is the bond between E.T. and the plant and the bond between E.T. and Elliot formed? That is a really good question. I, You know, I think it is just, uh, you know, magic. I mean, meme lords on the internet like to think that E.T. is secretly a Jedi. Oh which I don't ascribe to at all because Star Wars is for children. There you go. I like <laughs> that opinion's guy. bad, but it th- that opinion is bad. But it sounds like their memes might be really good. Uh, you know, it's hard to, hard to tell. But um, yeah, I think it's you know it is one of those like like as again I think when you watch this movie as a child, there are just some things that like sail right over your head. I mean, I know definitely for me, like you know, I was my parents were still. Uh, married so like i i and at the time i had not met anybody who had been divorced mm-hmm. um so that was you know something that took a, a long time and i think the 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 um understanding the bond but when it hits you it hits you like a ton of bricks and i think the one line that always gets me um when i rewatch the movie is when uh the meds the feds and the meds are talking to uh um the other children and, and mary and um 
they talk to Michael and and is explaining. You know, he says he's smart. He communicates through Elliot, and he the the doctor repeats back to us. Elliot thinks its thoughts, and he says no. Elliot feels his feelings. Yes, and, and th- that's a really great. Um, you know, I, I would not dare try to uh, make it an allegory for current events today. But um, but it but it's uh, but it's an, an, a real moment of you know humanization of what these you know these children and adolescents are are viewing ET as something with agency and, and humanity in a way that the the scientists and government agents are not. That line is so powerful, and I read it in the book, and I was like, "There's no way that's a, this is in the movie. Mm-hmm. This is a piece of like extra explanation text that was added to like help clarify what's happening to a young reader." And then it happened in the movie, and I was like, "Oh, oh, good, how important!" Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's it's when it really. I was like, "We gotta save this baby." <laughs> <laughs> it's been. I can't imagine how long it's been since I've like had analytical discussions about ET, but I just love <laughs> that like. Michael, as soon as you said, like, oh, I think the line that clearly defines it, I'm thinking, like, I know exactly what he's going to say. And, of course, <laughs> I was right. Because, yeah, these, like, even if you've been watching this movie as a kid or you just watched it for the first time last week, there are these punctuated things in this film that really resonate, that really they hit hard. Really and that's, do. like, a testament to why it was so popular, why it was so big, and why it's had this lasting appeal across generations. The moment, uh, the uh, the other moment that always gets me, and and I'm gonna do my best not to cry as I talk about it because it is the, I Jesus, I can feel it already, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which is there's a, a moment you know Drew Barrymore, uh, a preternaturally talented uh, young human, who uh, whose ability to blur the line between I am acting in a movie and I am making friends with a space creature uh, really sells a lot of I mean every all the kids in their own way sell it but there's a mo- the moment for her and if you look at some of the behind the scenes stuff she when she is forced to as an actor is is reacting to the death of ET it was very hard for her to turn it off and the moment that always gets me when they you know they they pull out the defibrillator and you know they they, they hit the you know clear and she jumps when mm-hmm. she reacts to not you know as a, a five six year old might not know what that is and then she does something that that um that like where the way that she squeezes her eyes shut as if when you're a child and you see something so traumatizing and so horrible and as if you're just trying to wish it away um god damn sorry Uh, (laughs) um that like that that is always where you know and of course it is kind of a more uh on the sound in the sound mix it is a more subdued part of the movie so if you're seeing it in a theater with me that is where you are hearing me sobbing (laughs) (laughs) i did find her like goodbye to et like the most affecting too like it's so She's just like, I just wanted to say goodbye. And then she and, like has to run away. It's so sweet. And a, gr- a great moment there too that I'll point out too, because I want to I want to get a good word in for everybody, but Robert McNaughton, who I love, who, you know, d- truly, I mean, he is not really a working actor. Um, I've had the good fortune. I've, I've met him a couple times. We've interacted. Um, he, de- one of the great things that he delivers in that scene particularly, because again, you know, 
Gertie dresses E.T. up as a child, or as a, a woman, and Elliot is, uh, you know, is obviously, you know, that's the bond. And Michael doesn't always get that moment. And the moment where E.T. extends his neck and he, and th- the 20th anniversary edition deleted this because they did digital effects, and I think it was a bad choice, where he, he, you know, he doesn't really know what to do, and he, like, kind of pets E.T. on the head, and E.T. at first kind of with, he, he pulls back a little bit, uh, you know, and then, and then kind of leans into it, and, and that's a really, just a really beautiful moment. All oh, this, this cast. Yeah. This cast, I mean, I, I'm so glad that Harry Thomas is now, you know, you've got all these haunting, spooky shows that he is on, and I feel like a lot of, uh, on Netflix, and, um, I think people are really coming around to like, wow, this guy's a really great actor. It's like, yes, it's about time. (laughs) I mean, that is the other, the, the, the other secret weapon of this film is that Spielberg just got three perfect kids. I mean, yeah. I mean, you cast incorrectly with any of those characters and it doesn't work. And, uh, all three of them are so good. You know, Drew Barrymore just has those, yeah, those, those giant, you know, 10 gallon tears streaming down her cheeks and like, yeah. I think one thing that we're going to be, I think as we talk more about the, you know, the 40th, the official anniversary is in June, so I think as, you know, people get their think pieces together, I think really juxtaposing this, especially because we're going to have another season coming out of uh, Stranger Things, and how, you know, before, you know, this was sort of the the nucleus, and obviously it blossomed with things like the Goonies and, and, and what have you, of, um, you know, the, 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 the suburban kid adventure movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny to kind of watch your, the movies like that now, Stranger Things and Super 8 and what have you, and sort of like the lessons that they did take from E.T. and the lessons that they maybe, that, that you can't, you can't make lightning strike twice in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's really just, yeah. Especially with Stranger Things where they're like, we made lightning strike twice in season one. And we're gonna try four more times, <laughs> and, you know. And, and now it's it's gonna be it's gonna be like Happy Days now, where it's like you know where you know uh, Henry Winkler is a thirty five year old man playing a you know twenty two year old man. I, I'm not gonna go on. I'm not gonna go on too much of a Stranger Things rant, but maybe there's a problem with your show when almost every season the plot is. We thought someone was dead, but they're out there somewhere, and we have to find them. And you can't come up with any other ideas. And even the new season that isn't out yet so obviously has that plot. Yes. Anyway, and now um, and I mean, they the greatest big crime legs is they won't now. let those kids be cute. They they were cute when they were little with bad haircuts. Now they're grown up. You got to give them good haircuts and allow them yeah. to look cute, so that we can mm. still root for them. And so they're being they're like gangly why? and like, <laughs> they got like big limbs and stuff. Let them like, go it's... through the experience of teenagedom. Don't try and tell me that poor Noah Schnapp or whatever is twelve years old. He's so tall and he's suffering, and he should be saved. <laughs> he needs help. Look at them dubbing those kids. Oh, jeez, I really feel um, bad for them. But the kids in E.T. are perfect, and they remain the same age the whole movie. Mm -hmm. I want to dig into the text. Yeah. Yes. So, May I I say one thing about the kids before we dig into the text, before we move on? Yes, you're talking about the E.T. kids. The E.T. kids, yes. Okay, great. Very early in the movie, I was like, oh, C. Thomas Howell is one of Michael's friends, who went on to be much more famous than Michael or Elliot, those (laughs) actors, right? And so initially I was like, Steven Spielberg, why didn't you cast C. Thomas Howell as the older brother? And as we went through, I was like, nope, nope, nope. I mean, I love C. Thomas Howell very much, but like, 
that actor is Michael. I was like, this is my favorite boy in the world. This boy is so sweet and so pure and so loving and accommodating. And I was just like, I love him. Get out of here, C. Thomas. Get out. <laughs> he, the, the, the Michael actor reminded me so much of Michael C. Hall. Mm. I felt like mm, uh, to the point where I was like, is it? And it, of course it wasn't. But I don't know. It, it seemed like it, like the same flavor of, of white child. Um. <laughs> there is a moment when they're all bicycling and they think they've got away from the cops and C. Thomas Howell is like, yeah, suck it, basically. And then immediately all the cops rush him. I laughed for like five minutes. I had to rewind the movie. <laughs> okay, let's dig into the text. Okay, I'm sorry. So yes. embellishments in the text, because the, it being a junior novelization, there are not like a, a ton of embellishments, but where Collins takes them, they're sort of interesting. So one that I'll just offer up kind of going somewhat sequentially is on page 11... I don't believe that this bit where Elliot actually sort of tries to really play D&D is in the movie, mm. right? Like, in the movie, he's like, I'm ready to go. And they're like, yeah. get out of here, you child. But in the book, he has this very strange moment. The where portable hole. Yeah. The, the portable hole. Well, yeah, very much like a, a bag of holding type of thing <laughs> if you guys play D&D. Um, okay, so they're playing D&D. They're eating pizza. It says... Bottom of page 10. Across the room, separated by the kitchen counter from the teenage boys, Michael's younger brother, Elliot, peered down at a tiny metal figure. His dark eyes were lost in a pastime of knights, dragons, goblins, and dungeons. Okay, then, Elliot said softly, pushing his hair out of his eyes as he, as he plotted his plan of action. So I run out of the forest, and I think I'll shoot just my arrows at the goblins to make them chase me. I keep running and shooting and running and shooting, and just when they're really mad and about to get me, I throw down my portable hole and climb in and pull the lid closed. Presto. Vanished. The older boys continued the game. Then the line, You guys, I'm ready to play now. A frustrated Elliot yelled. It's like, he's like, not part of the game at all, and he's just, he's, he's acting out what's going to happen in sort of this nervous moment of like, I cannot do a role-playing game unless I know exactly how everything will pan out, which is the antithesis right. of role-playing games. Because the second he shoots an arrow, the dungeon master or game master is going to be like, okay, roll for that, see if it hits. And he's going to be like, fuck! <laughs> and, and you know those kids. You don't kids. have older siblings, right? <laughs> I do. I have a, an older sister. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a different experience, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like I have old, I have older brother. I have an older brother, and this, like oh, very much the concept of being like, I want to play with him, but I have to be good, or he's gonna make fun of no, me and kick me out. Like for the record, so this is not relatable. me saying that this is bad writing. This is me saying that it's like it's it's a very colorful way to paint Elliot as sort of sort of neurotic in a, in a way. I, well, I, I, like I noted it. this bit too, and yeah, I I took it I think the same way as you in that like he's practicing he or he's he's yeah. rehearsing what he's going to say because he wants to maybe impress them or he wants to show that he's got like a plan of how he's going to go about it and uh yeah i i, I sort of liked it like you know it it it's uh maybe a, a demonstration of uh, elliot wanting to fit in wanting to, to seem grown up and that he's uh he'll he'll be accepted yeah I, I thought it was a cute little bit but yeah it was maybe the first deviation in this uh, novelization that i noticed and it's like oh okay it's just a novel little aside but you know a brief one and I, I was okay with it it's always heartening to see something like this early in a book because it gives me the feeling that the author has 
real interest and empathy in the characters and that they're going to be trying to color in things that maybe a movie can't show. So, I mean, I like the book overall, but at this point I was like, oh yeah, like Terry Collins, like we're going to be friends. <laughs> so, so the one thing I'll say to that, um, so, uh, because I'm a crazy person, uh, I, I reached out to Mr. Collins and, uh, and he actually, uh, answered some questions I had, and one of the big questions was because there is there is a great deal uh, in this book that that did not come up from the movie, and I had asked him, did you did they give you the screenplay? Because obviously they don't need to at this point because again this is a twenty year old movie. Yeah, we could it's all write easy. novelizations of it if we want. And it turns out it turns Which out they famously came out twenty years later, which well. <laughs> yes. we all knew the whole time. <laughs> Well, it turns out that they did grant him access to Melissa Matheson's screenplay, and that is where a lot of these things, I believe, come from. Um, I have not you – know, I'm actually planning for Hollywood and Spine to, to do a sort of supplemental once people uh, listen to the podcast uh, if they want to read about it. But um, I'm, my plan is to uh, – uh, the New York Public Library um, Performing Arts Library has a, uh, a copy of the screenplay, which I'm going to – sit with for two hours and you know take my little notes on my green piece of paper as as uh you know under the the watchful eye of the library staff but um well uh, i like mike duquette and the book of the green paper exactly yes exactly <laughs> um but there's a couple things uh, you know the that that uh, and from you know from pouring over dvd special features there's a couple things that um you know definitely were filmed i yeah. don't know that the scene Some with the, the principal, uh, the that cl- was that's the, yes. with, with Harrison Ford, originally film, uh, filmed. Does anybody have their, is their in finger the on the pulse for this one? We should pull that up. Oh, the, oh the for page. the... Uh, yeah, let's see. I, I took notes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that... Uh, I, I, I think I have seen so this deleted scene 74. or something. Yes, 74. Uh, but yeah, I noted, like, oh, I there there is this whole scene with the principal, and I don't... I can't remember how well it matches to uh, the Harrison Ford scene that I, I think I watched on one of the DVDs years ago. Uh, but yeah, it does go on a while, and I didn't... I, I was trying to remember. It's like, is this as uh, detailed as that scene was, or does it expand upon a bit? But it, it's also kind of a silly scene. You certainly know why it's cut. Also, I think the idea was that Harrison Ford would be distracting in a, in a small role in this film. Uh, well, an interesting an interesting thing that, uh, that we uh, fans learned recently... About five years ago, uh, in 2017, um, the label La La Land Records uh, did a uh, expanded edition of the score, John Williams' score to E.T. Um, and in doing so, they found a very small uh, non-thematic cue that was labeled Levitation. So apparently the, the scene got cut late enough that Williams scored a, a small piece of music. Which blew my mind because mm. I, of all the things I knew about the, the film and, and its score, I had never known that. So, um, you know, again, a, a very late breaking decision um, because obviously, you know, again, some of the, I mean, the, the other, the big, uh, the bathtub scene, which is uh, sort of the, the main thing they added back into the 20th anniversary edition, is nowhere to be found in the book. And that's mm-hmm. just fine. What is, what causes the levitation? I'm looking at the, the passage right now. Um, so what I've, on E.T.'s end? Because E.T. and Elliot, of course, are, are like, t- telepathically and telekinetically linked. And I think, so I think it's the hangover. Sorry, 
it's a ha- it's a it's kind of a hangover. Et mm-hmm. has you know as Et has gotten drunk, Elliot has gotten drunk. He smooched the girl from Under Siege and Baywatch. Elliot kisses a girl in class. Really not appropriate, Elliot. Not great. I didn't um, like that the he's book just done doesn't something so extraordinarily heroic. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Gotta he, put a button on it. And he stands on that that like that fat guy in his uh <laughs> in his um in his class. To, to so oh, yes. can, you know be lip to lip. Um, so I didn't I think, like that the book doesn't name check John Ford's The Quiet Man. It said like, oh yeah, <laughs> ET saw a guy kiss a girl on TV. It's like, no, he saw John Wayne kiss Maureen O'Hara on TV. ET doesn't know that he's a baby alien. But I know that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I think it's a uh, you know he's hungover ish. He's trying to get this bundle of. Uh, communic- future communicator parts up the stairs, and so he- obviously it's too big for him or Gertie to carry. So he uh, floats it up the stairs. The mm-hmm. in the film the the scene they cut uh, the special effect is terrible. It basically looks like they threw the bundle down the stairs and just played it in reverse. Sounds <laughs> sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> and uh, so with every with every lift of the 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 bundle, I guess Elliot and the chair also ascend and i think the gag is that the uh the principal never sees it but it he sure sees it in the book hannah blackman would you yeah. like to read the part on <laughs> yes. 76 that begins after the little like uh the little break in the page um sure and you're just you're just gonna you're just gonna stop me when you're ready Oh, just read as much as feels good i mean like what if, if the scene starts to seem boring just get out you know the room. <laughs> okay. I mean, I just, um, I'm hoping I get to the part where basically the principal is like, oh, I think I'm having a breakdown. Hey, skip around. Remember we recorded an episode recently where I recounted like seven pages? <laughs> yes, And I, I kept do. just being like, and then two pages later, and <laughs> then two pages after that. Yeah, it was good. Are we going As... to skip the part where he asks Elliot if he's on Quaaludes? I thought that was all. Yes, we oh. are going to skip that part. <laughs> Yes, isn't that in the film? I think it that wasn't the the scene, um, or <laughs> yeah. that, it didn't make the final the principal film, being like, "What like, drugs yeah. are you on?" Quaid yeah, I think he, he, I think he says "Angel Wings," which was like a, a ha ha ha, yeah. you know. I mean, I would love to hear Harrison Ford say the word "quaaludes." I think we all would. Was, apologies, Hannah. Proceed. No, no, please. I'll... As the principal continued to drone on, Elliot felt the chair move beneath him. Felt the chair beneath him move. Sorry, Terry. More of a hop, really. The chair rose a foot in the air, then fell. Bump. The principal, his glasses off as he swiped at the lenses. Hot to imagine Harrison Ford with glasses. We love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining um, Indiana Jones at school for this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's hot. Um, I'm imagining Elliot with I love you written on my lips. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I mean, (laughs) as any sane person would. Nice to know you're still alive over there. I mean, I see you fine young people searching for an escape at such a tender age. I know there are lots of temptations out there. Elliot and his chair rose into the air, hanging in space, levitating in place. His head almost touched the ceiling. That is so high. Sure, the world looks like a hopeless, cruel place, the principal said, still looking down at his glasses as he cleared them with his tie. But resorting to drugs and alcohol is not the answer. The speech over, he placed his glasses back on his face and looked at Elliot, or rather, at Elliot's sneakered feet. The man blinked as the sight of the levitating boy and chair finally registered. Uh, 
the principal said before the chair crashed back to the floor. Yeah, I mean, he sure sees it. And then he sure uh, sees slightly it. later, he's like, maybe we all just need to like take some time off, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, he basically is like, I think that the most sane explanation is shared psychosis. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> let's all just take a breather. A little rest is we, I mean, all you need. I'm sure this was all some sort of misunderstanding for a little principal. I mean, he just accused a 10-year-old of being on drugs. Yeah. I mean, you know. he was drunk, just, you know, not, you know, you know, psychologically linked drunk. I, I, you know, right. But, uh, I mean, letting the frogs go is wonderful, first of all. Yeah. What a beautiful thing to do. And, like, he looks at this frog and sees his friend E.T. Like, the fact that he's drunk almost has nothing to do with it, but that he cannot watch a living creature be <laughs> cut open. I- I thought that he was acting in the capacity that the scientist, Mr. Extraterrestrial, would have acted. I thought that's what was going on, is that he was taking on the traits of E.T., Mr. Botanist, who maybe also believes in, like, animal freedom. (laughs) But your take's interesting. (laughs) It's how I feel about dissecting frogs. I want to let them go instead. And all of the children, like, being like, yeah, you're right, we should let them go. Like, throwing them out the window um, really warmed my heart a lot. I, just very small side tangent, I agreed to watch a friend's cats, and uh, then the day You didn't dissect them, did you? I dissected them. Oh, no. No, the day that the the cat watching was to begin yesterday, they texted me, and they were like, could you also feed our bearded dragon? And I was like, sure. And they were like, okay, cool, he eats live cockroaches. Hmm. Just, just a slippery slope. I were they just, were they just in a bowl? Um, it's sort of yet to be determined because he need, only needs to be fed like twice a week. So I haven't done it yet. Okay. Because if it's like a messed up enough apartment, it would just be like, all right, find one. Oh, yeah, totally. I put oatmeal on the floor before I left last time. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, the frog part, yeah, really, really nice. And then like really cute and and uh empathetic and then the principal stuff is is funny johnny what what is like an embellishment from the book that you found uh intriguing either in a positive or negative direction uh yeah well i'll tell you one thing uh this isn't an embellishment uh per se but while i think of one i i can get to this one thing i was very surprised and pleased to be in the book was a very famous line from the film that i'm thinking well there's no way this is going to be in the kids book but no penis breath is there and that made me very happy um (laughs) Also, uh, Michael, maybe you remember when the re-release movie came out, there were all of these rumors that that line was cut. And in fact, Siskel and Ebert, I remember on their show, even did a, oh, actually it was Ebert and Roper, I guess by that point, um, did a bit like in anticipation of the film coming out, pleading with Steven Spielberg, do not cut this line. We love this line. It's not homophobic. It's it's just a fun kid thing. It's silly. We all loved it when it was in the movie originally. And I don't know if that got to him or what, if it, if it worked or if it was never planned to be cut out in the first place. But we all thought that it wasn't going to be in the movie. And then when we were at that theater opening weekend and it was there it got applause from the audience (laughs) everyone was so happy that it was still there and yeah i I was happy that it was in the book as well 
Um, I guess an embellishment. I mean, uh, less an embellishment. Like there, there's not many like whole scenes that are like totally reinstated or reinvented. But there is uh, a a lot of things are a little less subtle, and a lot of that is like the divorce talk. Um, a lot of it is uh, really spelling out the sort of um, shared consciousness and shared emotions that Et and uh, Elliot have. Which you know, in the film, you do have to figure it out before you get the you know. Elliot feels his feelings uh, line. Um, uh, I and and you know so you also get uh, a lot of and and not nearly as much as the other novel that we're going to read, but a little hints of uh, Et's point of view and that his uh, we're we're not getting his consciousness, we're not getting like his narration, but we are getting the narrator explaining to us what E.T. might be thinking at certain points. One of my favorite things uh, that I noticed in it, I think it was early on when he's hiding from Ring of Keys or something, and there's a line that says, E.T. breathed a sigh of relief. And I'm trying to imagine E.T. the (laughs) alien saying what? Few? Like, few. He sighs a lot in this book. He does, yeah. Sighs a few times. But I think it comes at a moment in the book where where he hasn't fully been humanized yet. Like I think of the you know there's a great that great, and I've seen it with audiences and everybody laughs when when uh, he's in the closet frozen, mm-hmm. you know, uh, disguised as a stuffed animal, and and Mary closes the closet, and you do you do hear a very audible. <sighs> um, <laughs> but 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 again by that point like you know that this guy likes to eat Reese's pieces and sure and, does fruit and all sorts of you know and he can uh, you know he he can uh make flowers bloom with his mind so um yeah it's it's interesting that it, com- that it comes there where where it does that was a, a, a interesting choice on collins's part to uh to make him sort of uh humanized at, at such an early part of the book given that he can bring life to flowers it's interesting to me that there aren't fan theories maybe there are but that there aren't fan theories that the ET race is like the 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 designer or the creator of like human life. Mm. Yeah, then they they just landed to check in on everyone, see how everything. Yeah, going. absolutely. Yeah. They're like they're like kind of annoyed with how humanity's going, but they're like, I really do. I like I feel very strongly about geraniums. There, there is, there is a moment in the Cotswinkle book that I, I won't, I won't describe it how it happened in the Cotswinkle book because I don't want to steal the, the shine off of that episode. But there was a concept that uh, Stephen. Listen, we got to cancel the Cotswinkle episode. This is me, this is me talking no. to the guest. I know you were excited about it, but this but you guy, got some, some he just summarized freak. the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, there was a concept that was discussed. Um, between Stephen and Melissa in putting the script together that they wisely moved away from that at one point in his channel surfing E.T. was going to see the scene where J.R. Ewing is shot mm. and, <laughs> and would put the finger up to the uh, to the the screen and it was uh, I don't know if they ever got I think because if you think about it too hard, it's like, well, this was filmed, you know, like mm-hmm. he's not, he's not living. I mean, can you, that's like something that Mac and me would have done, you know? 
the uh, the, the the lesser ET ripoff from 1986. Uh-huh. Uh, I, haven't I remember. It. I mean, ET does try and heal Michael's fake Halloween Which, costume, yeah. and that's a great moment. Ouch. I think, but if I think if you were trying to do it through the television, I think that that does sort of. Uh, invite uh li- you know lines of questioning um, oh i thought i was hoping you're gonna say he literally like he figuratively puts the finger on who shot jr <laughs> oh, no. like he can figure it out he um, you know <laughs> he's very smart yeah well, it was a dream sequence right that's the payoff for who uh, shot JR? i think i think that was bobby yeah passing yeah, away. yeah patrick duffy dying was a dream sequence where he's gotcha in the shower gotcha, or something. Gotcha. i gotta i gotta watch all of nashville um, Dallas. <laughs> Dallas. Dallas. And, and I don't think wa- you do. <laughs> I gotta watch all of Chicago, the musical. Um, <laughs> all of the three Chicago, PD, MD, and Fire. I'm assuming shows. that these are all in a shared universe of geography movies. Yes, and I assume um, they happen around you all the time. That you're constantly the, experiencing. The melodrama that Sorry. I see in law enforcement and like passing ambulances and stuff living in Chicago is i mean i'm wrapped (laughs) any any time you see a cop they're like crying about infidelity or or whatever (laughs) um i I will say as a as a journalism major i uh, you know future journalism major but as a child it always uh especially with movies like et or back to the future things that took place like on the west coast it really tickled my fancy to imagine how this stuff was reported like if it like made the news like what there was a weird thing going on in this house in in california and then also a weird thing happened in a a mall parking lot uh some uh, guy might have gotten shot and there was a big explosion or something um and and i've now realized that um that was me inventing the marvel cinematic universe before it was the marvel cinematic universe for which i'm very (laughs) sorry i'm very sorry about that you cursed us yeah what did you do? I mean, I will say seeing Ambulance today, I was so tickled by the number of news headlines that they show in that movie. They're like, <laughs> CNN, oh, Ambulance Chase in Los Angeles. And I was like, really I would be wrapped. <laughs> and then the ticker goes by and it's like, you know, something, some other California movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you guys think that Elliot's mom and Mr. Keys date after this? Uh... I always uh, hoped they would in, when I watched <laughs> it as a movie. I, I, I remember as a kid specifically asking my mom, is he going to be Elliot's new dad? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah I, I think they... I'm so they, glad I wasn't alone in thinking that they have some chemistry. They do. And I think at the very least, they go on a few dates because they have to unpack this and say like, oh gosh, you really had no idea that he was in the closet the whole time. And, you know, they have a few drinks. I mean, Dee Wallace in this movie is really sexy. And I, I always thought you know she's dressed for her halloween and stuff like you know she's she's going out on the town she's going to a party or something like this is in an era 1982 when halloween was for children but uh i don't know maybe ground zero of halloween being a holiday to drink and get laid started with d wallace maybe i don't know it really is that seems like wishful thinking johnny (laughs) i know that like um latchkey kids is like a whole thing that many children lived through it is really shocking to me now to watch this movie and watch the us be like okay i'm gonna leave you home alone all day long you're 10 years old good luck i'm gonna leave my five-year-old daughter home alone while i have to go pick up my son at school uh you guys go out on halloween be back see you later like (laughs) um, and then you know she's worried when they don't come home but like 
It really is a different um, version of childhood. Yeah, as someone who lived through it, I gotta say, Hannah, it was the best. It was so (laughs) great. Oh, you were constantly unsupervised. Oh, I I miss those. Nobody, nobody locked their doors. Media set in the '80s, so that you could have teenage characters who just like leave home all day and do whatever they want, because you just can't do that anymore. I guess not. Is Keys lying about E.T. visiting him as a child? Uh, yeah, that is a weird spot I noticed. Because, no, sorry, Johnny. Oh, yeah, I, I wondered if, is this a, a tactic to sort of relate to Elliot? In the in right. the film, he, he does talk about, like, I've been dreaming of this my whole life. And it's like, I was wondering, it's like, is he talking, like, figuratively, like, like he had an imaginary friend like it was like i used to imagine that this was happening to me that an alien came and became my friend Uh, yeah i feel like when he says when he says he came to me too i think he's uh, to me he was always referring to that this experience you're having like i am also having this experience almost like through you oh okay that i like that so much more what a great interpretation he's saying you are a child full of wonder an alien coming to you gratifies that wonder. Exactly. I am an adult whose interests have evolved into my f- form of wonder is scientific investment. And, and being f- able to open a lot of doors. And the fact that this guy, this the Mr. Extra, came down, that is also him coming to me. He is also fulfilling that for me. Because exactly. if he's saying that when I was a child, E.T. came to me... I have a million follow-up questions. Which is <laughs> I mean, like- I agree that I don't think it's that. I also think, though, that he's saying, because Elliot says, like, he came to me for help, and Mr. Keyes says he came to me too, meaning you have to let me help him. We all want to help E.T. Yeah, right. I'm here to help him just as much as you are. There's so much richness in this, right? It's fun that we can get, like, four interpretations out of this that all feel pretty valid. Mm-hmm. I love it. And it, and in a way that you know, because uh, you know the the reissue of ET did not do well at the box office. Um, and when you look at what was being you know screened at the same time, I don't want to disparage the makers of Ice Age, um, but I do not know if the Ice Age Junior novelization, which I surely hope that you guys cover at some point, um, I I do not know that it has the same interpretative interpretive gifts that uh, that that we are experiencing right now with ET. If I'm wrong about this, this is a comedy bit for any lawyers listening. But I'm pretty sure the newest Ice Age movie is like a picket line crossing affair in which like there was some sort of strike and they they made a movie with everyone who didn't participate in the strike. For shame. Seems rude. Um, Yes, I agree. (laughs) Speaking of the text of the book, uh, the globe thing on page 50. You guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe. So, the creature turned and watched the humans, fascinated as always at their movements, their speech, their emotions. Elliot pointed at the pages of like a a, a map book. An atlas. Good good word. Um, A map book. Look, see? (laughs) This is where we are. Michael brought down a globe from the shelf. Here, use this, he suggested. Elliot closed the book and pointed at the North American continent on the globe. See? He said to the creature. We're here. Where are you from? The creature looked at the globe, then at Elliot, then turned and pointed. His long, narrow finger was pointed at the night sky, 
and the yellow crescent moon, both now visible through the window. I don't like his feet, Gertie decided. Same, sister. Yeah, they're, they're really speaking to you on that one, Hannah. He's trying to tell us something. Elliot opened the atlas again. Atlas, fine. Flipping pages until he found a drawing of the solar system. The creature reached out and laid a hand on the page. Earth, Elliot said, rubbing a finger under the picture in the atlas, and then gesturing towards the globe. Yeah, Earth, home. Then one by one, the five clay balls, because he just has clay balls conveniently lying around. He is a school child. On, I didn't have clay balls. On Elliot's (laughs) desk, rose up from the tabletop and orbited above them. The creature pointed to the map, then to the hovering balls. He pointed to the globe and to Elliot, then to one small ball and himself. Elliot felt a chill race up his spine. Oh no, he whispered. Good scene. I love the idea that they bring down a a map book and they try to have Elliot show them, or uh, E.T. show them where he's from, and it's insufficient. (laughs) And they have to break into three dimensions to do it. He's a little spaceman. He knows he's from space. Yeah. Good writing, though. Yeah, it is good writing. Yeah, it, it really, it's really it's really effectively uh, communicated. And, uh, I, yeah, I also, I, you know, there's a lot of effective communication. And I, I also, uh, well, we already talked about the, um, the, the changes in the movie that Collins refused to make. I do love that, 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 you know, at one point Michael's like, look out, they've got guns. Yeah, yes, I noticed a- the exact same line, and mm-hmm. it almost was a rebuke of the whole walkie-talkie thing. It's like, don't worry, kids, you don't have to imagine that they're holding weird digital walkie-talkies. We are spelling out that they have guns. Were the walkie-talkies massive? Yeah, they were. They were, like, this big, <laughs> I think, in my memory. They're, yeah, they, they were, like, um, I, I guess... Uh, more akin to like a um, uh, uh, what what would you call it? Like a um, like uh, a satellite phone. There you go. Thank you. The right. Satellite was. Yeah, but I mean, you're still as I remember from this one vague memory I have. You have guys holding rifles, and they're holding a walkie-talkie just in the one hand, and the other hand's just like there. Yeah. Um, not perfectly done, Stephen. It, it no. didn't look very good. And the other scene, there's when the when they approach the van. Um, it's hard to tell they are holding like handguns and um in the uh you know in the 20th anniversary edition they do change those as well and so you got all these people clutching uh radios in a very strange way and there's also a very subtle mix in of like you know static and chatter to like really underscore it's like yeah these don't worry these aren't guns um they would be guns. They should be guns. The government would show up to shoot kids to take back an mm-hmm. alien. Exactly. The fact that Mr. Keys wants E.T. to go home, and by the time they arrive and the spaceship is there, he isn't trying to stop them at all, is a huge surprise. And no government <laughs> official would behave that way now. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cite really briefly uh, when I asked uh, Mr. Collins about, uh, you know, did Universal make him aware of any of these changes? Uh, he wrote, that's a great question. Luckily, no changes were requested. Uh, I have a feeling no one was paying much attention to my adaptation until it was published. As a fan of movies in general, I can't say I care for any of these sorts of changes. Then in parentheses, yes, George Lucas, I'm looking at you. <laughs> I like Java in uh, the original Star Wars. Okay, so... Okay. <laughs> I That's the version, the first version I saw. So I, I you know, when people... Um, 
when people, uh, you know, I, I can't get as virulent about who shot Greedo when. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's like, I just, re- I remember that version and like, for historical purposes, it would be really nice to see the original original in some sort of version that uh, fans did not have to take into their own hands, but. That is know, cool, though, that. that that Collins is like, you know what, I did my little act of rebellion and because people don't care about novelizations, which is like a kind of a sad fact <laughs> of life, it's like, I got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. How do we feel about these glossies? Let's talk about the glossies. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. They're nice. Just I mean, admiring them. This first one, amazing. This spaceship is cool. Really sets mm-hmm. the tone. Yeah, so for the for the listener, just a shot of the spaceship above the town and sort of the city lying in the background. Just a very beautiful, the whole palette of the photo is dark. I think this was a teaser poster, too. Like, uh, uh, one of the early posters, I think, I I think, is this image. Because this isn't how it ever appears in the film. It's never, like, above the house, is it? No, no, no. No, no. Just leafing through these, I like how the the glossies are pretty consistently spooky. Mm -hmm. Uh, They give an atmosphere of, like, uh, of dread. Uh, So that if you were to read this first, I mean, Hannah, you did read it first. Uh, it seems like a very tense and menacing film in a way that that I think is is intriguing. Except that there's ET dressed up as a lady, also. Which I mean, an image out. you'd want to have. Well, you know, because because the original marketing was very adamant that nobody knows what ET looked like, which you know now uh, in the in the era of Netflix, uh, you know, you see sometimes those uh, posters that they put together. Um, the most recent uh, DVD Blu-ray uh, looks shameful, in my opinion, because it is—it's very 2000s poster where it's all the big heads in kind of a. Um, but what I think what's very interesting about all of these uh, these uh, glossy photos here is that, to my the my knowledge, which is pretty good, I'll be honest, um, <laughs> none of the. Not, none of these photos are of the CGI changes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Um, which again, for something that was, you know, uh, I mean, some of these, uh, some of these screen grabs and stuff were definitely taken out and cleaned up for press purposes at the time. Mm-hmm. But you look at the, there's an image of the the bikes going across the sun. That is the original models. Um, you know, there there was some CG used on ET dressed as a girl. Uh, which is, you know, just represented by a publicity photo from the time. Um, so it is really interesting. It's almost, I mean, again, no 10-year-old is going to care about, uh, well, other than me at 14, uh, no one was really getting in the weeds about what what uh, what, what uh, shots of E.T. are changed here. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I assure you, I was a lot of fun to hang out with at <laughs> age 14, 15. Everybody loved me, just like they do now. <laughs> <laughs> when when whenever I talk about ET, I can't wait. My wife's in the other room. I can't wait to hear her. Uh, you know, go. The number of the, times you did the thing again, didn't you? <laughs> the number of times that some a friend of mine that isn't really that into film asks me like a film question, and I go, 
do you consent to activating me right now? <laughs> <laughs> I might have to take yeah, that. Likewise. That's good. Because sometimes really if it's good. a movie I don't really care about, if somebody's like, like, I mean, I like Star Wars, but I'm not like a Star Wars guy. Sure. And if somebody sure. asks me a Star Wars question, I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's this, blah, blah, blah. Kind of interesting. Uh, interesting choice. If they ask me about like fucking Back to the Future, I'm like, are you ready to go in the tunnel? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. I feel that. As someone who just put the, uh, the 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 Lego DeLorean together a couple weekends ago, I feel mm-hmm. you on that one. Amazing. Which which movies DeLorean? Uh, part one. W- no Mr. Fusion. Uh, just the plutonium. Uh, I didn't bother with the hook. I didn't have enough room. Hey, pretty pretty cool though. Yeah, it's great. It's and great. It, do we have any other passages that we want to hit before? This is essentially a full length episode of Authorized, so I am <laughs> going to do scenarios. But do we have <laughs> no, any other passages we want to hit before that? Well, while we're still talking glossies, I just want to call attention to the textured cover. Ooh, I've been rubbing this all day. Just like, <laughs> My cover isn't textured. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a little... Yeah, it's a little Hannah, little. I'm fascinated that your page numbers are the same as ours. Yeah. It's yeah. like the same book, but half the time they're like British, and I don't have a textured front. <laughs> and my, I, in o- opening the book just now, all my glossies fell out. Oh, <laughs> oh my glossies fell out too. Oh, so. okay. I, yeah. I did just see Hannah on your copy, and I'm glad that it c- confirms what our copies have, which for the, 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 the listeners at home, it does say in that raised text, the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. As yes. if like... Like, as if there was any question. Like, there was no Saturday morning E.T. cartoon show. Shocking. You know, obviously... Well, and I've, as a fan, I've I've held this as sort of a... Like, this is my hipster pride, (laughs) is that there is no sequel to this movie. There is no, like, there there is no E.T. cinematic universe. Um, So it's like... For a movie that ran in theaters for a year. A year! It is shocking to me that they weren't like, okay, but like animated cartoon, he comes back, they have adventures. It's insane. Every weekend. I mean, now... It seems so obvious. Well, there was a a, a 10-page treatment that Steven and Melissa, like hit up for a sequel like in the month after the movie came out they were drunk with power (laughs) um it sucks ass uh you can find it on it is is on the internet it's called et2 nocturnal fears Mm -hmm. i don't recommend it it's very stupid yeah um it is well it it was going to be kind of scary it was it was almost a uh uh more like what um Super 8 ended up being. It was sort of like oh. a, oh, the alien is nice, but he's also scary and he might eat someone. The, a genesis of, of E.T. as a project was an unproduced script that uh, Spielberg was working on with John Sayles called Night Skies. Yeah. And there was, it was almost like Night Skies in reverse because Night Skies was going to be these aliens that were kind of like descending on a farm town and wreaking havoc. But there was one weird little nice one. And then that sort of that germ of the idea became E.T. And so it's almost like they were going to reverse engineer that where like E.T. is the the lone nice one out of a bunch of weird little freaks instead of all of them were just, you know, little guys uh, collecting saplings. Yeah, it it is a fascinating read. I love that they're a planet of cuties. I mean, I don't think they're cute, but you know what I mean. Like (laughs) they're just little guys who toddle around collecting plant samples and like loving each other. That's right. That's good. Don't, the don't wise, break it, Stephen. Yes, the wise uh, botanicist from the uh, from the ride would would not come. Uh, would uh, you know? Yeah, I, he, he. That's the right 
tone to strike. I highly recommend, uh, Hannah, that you go on YouTube and watch like a ride through from the old Universal thing because uh, you get to go to E.T.'s planet and there's all a a whole bunch of E.T.'s, including little baby E.T.'s. And it's really cute. And at the end, uh, he says, "Okay, maybe I would love a baby, baby. Yeah, (laughs) they are cute. I will say like I for the past maybe five or six years went to Madame Tussauds every year for my birthday. Um, and I uh, have a series of He's... pictures of me with E.T. So I can't I... be mean to him. You know, I'm sorry. Look for that on the Instagram, uh, everyone, <laughs> so when this episode drops. <laughs> Hannah, you actually reminded me because I, I, I was aware that they installed him there. And I am probably going to pay the 50 bucks at some point between now and June 11th. It's to, fun. Uh, Madame yeah. Tussauds is a good time. Go with a friend. I've, Don't be I've shy. Got the... Well, but specifically to get my picture with you, yeah, I've got the red hoodie. I'm, 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 I'm the ready. The setup is like he's in the basket of the bike. It's amazing. It's so fun. It's fun. Mm. They did a really good job yeah. with him. I haven't been to Madame uh. Tussauds since I was a kid, and I loved it as a kid. I can't believe I've never been to the, the Times Square Daddy? incarnation. We're going. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be in New York in June, which oh, is close enough right. to my birthday. That congrats. You're my yearly guest at Madame Tussauds. Ooh, fantastic. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've never in my life seen wax made into the form of a human. <laughs> that okay, was a well, very Madame clinical. Madame Tussauds is particularly good at it, to the <laughs> point where sometimes you turn a corner and you're like, ah! Oh no! Actually, wait. Let me take it back. One time, I went to a wedding, and there were these two little people on top of the cake, but <laughs> they weren't, in fact, people. They were wax. Mm. So I, t- so I take it back. I was wrong. It's okay, kind of, it's Andrew, basically... you also come to New York the first week in June, and we're all going to Madame Tussauds. Mm. Last Can I come year? too? Of course. Oh yes. Let's make a trip of it. That would oh, be really fun. Absolutely. That would be I might delightful. Act- I might actually do that. That's please good. do. That'd be. I would really genuinely love to do that. That would be really, really fun. I mean, um, I started going because I wanted a picture with Wax Tom Cruise. He wasn't there. Last year, he was, and I literally screamed. <laughs> <laughs> so my journey could be over, but I would love to do it with you guys. Yay. An epilogue. Fun. A nice little epilogue. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Great. Johnny Pomato. <laughs> yeah. You are a high school principal who has but, who has but, who has bought... Hook, line, and sinker, the rhetoric around the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are terrified that the youth of today are going to fall victim to whatever drug they are offered. And so, in order to write them, you are instead going to put a book in each of their hands. But you need to decide which book to give them. Would you trust... E.T., The Extraterrestrial, by Terry Collins, to keep children from the temptations of the flesh. Wow. Okay. Gosh, I am... I, I think I know this principle. Yeah. Deer Creek Elementary School. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I have a, a measured response to this. And mm-hmm. it is that I actually think, as junior novelizations go, this is good. However, I wouldn't recommend it only because if you are if you are a kid who is old enough to read this novelization, you're old enough to see the movie, and uh, I, I think that this only works as um, a, a a a a book 
for kids who love the movie already. I don't think that this is a good substitution for the movie. In fact, I think it takes a little magic away from it. Uh, We didn't really talk about it, but uh, the descriptions of the bike flying really robs it of the wonder and majesty of uh, Mm -hmm. this sequence in the film. I I forget what the line is, and I'm not going to find it now, but uh, it was just like, Elliot, you're on a flying bike, and that's all you have to say about this? And Now, granted, without the John Williams score, which I would posit is his greatest score ever, uh, you know, and and, and the man has a lot of bangers, um, but uh, without the John Williams music, uh, this book didn't make me, uh, you know, weep a tear. And if I ever watch this movie, which I, I try to do at least once a year, a year, uh, I am just the waterworks are flowing. So uh, it, it's good for kids. But if you're a kid, uh, watch the movie or you know read this if you uh, uh, are are so obsessed with ET, like Michael seems to be, <laughs> that you you just need to absorb more and more ET. Which hey, I get. Um, yeah, my children are gonna loathe me for that. Um, Johnny, to your point, I think also it's, you know, as, as all of you doubtlessly know, I think the challenge of, um, adapting, uh, scenes that are largely dialogue free, yeah. you know, how do you, you know, how do you, uh, and, and there's moments of this where, you know, the, uh, once E.T. is deceased briefly, um, to come back two pages later mm-hmm. you know because obviously mm-hmm. there's there's not a you know although you know we get i don't know 10 15 minutes to sit with the heaviness of that um obviously the experience of reading it is is very different does um, he come back to but, life through the power of love is that all or is he faking the whole time? i think i when i read the <laughs> when i watched the movie i thought that it was the power of love when i read the book it seemed to me that he was linked to his own people and so when they were proximate, okay. he was like, whoa, I'm up. Yeah. Okay, I'm okay, yeah, I'm ready that's to fine go. with me. The okay. power of love Wait. is a curious thing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, although it, it's, our, it's our solemn vow that we won't cover that book for years. Um, okay, so but, 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 I have a passage here that both includes, I think, what Johnny's talking about with the bikes and the gun line. So, hell yeah. With the appearance of more on-foot pursuers... Tyler's joy of freedom was short-lived. Up ahead, the tan car pulled around the street, blocking it. Other cars also appeared, creating a blockade. Look out, Michael cried. They've got guns. Indeed, their pursuers carried rifles and shotguns and leveled them at the group of bicycling boys as they hurtled ever closer to the roadblock. Elliot's mind raced. We're going to have to stop, he thought. Uh, Then the bikes start flying, and it says, The bikes flew in formation, hurtling over the rooftops of the neighborhood as everyone but Elliot clutched their handlebars in a mix of terror and delight. Elliot had no fear. He embraced the thrill of the experience, drinking in the beauty of the world surrounding them as they flew across the setting sun. Awesome, Elliot screamed with delight. (laughs) Is this real? Is this really real? Tyler asked, looking down at his feet on the pedals uh, and at the ground far below. Greg closed his eyes tight. Tell me when it's over, he said. E.T. knew where he was going and steered the bikes to the right. It's like, it's hokey. It's a little hokey. <laughs> it, it, it also, it, Johnny, that's what you were talking about, right? Uh, a little less so that, but I mean, no, that that's right. I was more the first time Elliot flies, and he's like, not too high, not too high. It's like, you little uptight twerp. Come on, you're on a flying <laughs> bike. No, higher, higher is what I want to hear. 
Right. It also, I think that that scene also does erase my favorite, like, random guy in the movie, which is uh, the mm. the government agent who gets out of the car to kind of cut the kids off and then almost gets, like, knocked over. Yeah. Yeah. Who is, as uh, Spielberg heads would know, um, is played by a guy named Ted Grossman, who appears in Jaws as the... Uh, the the estuary victim is his credited name he's the guy in the rowboat that gets eaten by the shark he uh he's the dead body in the goonies that they find in the in the refrigerator um he's just a stunt guy who has just unfortunate luck all the time either getting <laughs> uh murdered by some sort of unusual film force or almost knocked over by a bike yeah hannah blackman in front of oh. a bike yes go ahead nope that's all hannah blackman i'm really hannah. scared of getting hit by bikes <laughs> hannah hannah yeah. Hannah, Bla- Hannah yeah. Blackman. Mm-hmm. Yes. You are a dog. You used to get so many belly rubs from from the father figure in this human family. He was not the best father, and he wasn't great to his wife, but he really loved you. And that guy took off, resulting in your belly rubs being cut by like 50%. Things were bad enough. Suddenly, all the children in the house are focused on this extraterrestrial. And you're being just emotionally neglected to a horrifying degree. Knowing that you will never be loved again, would you learn to read and then read E.T. the Extraterrestrial by Terry Collins? Um, Woof, woof, bark, bark. Great. Bark, bark. Bark uh, it is funny that that dog is like, should I go with E.T.? I see that you're not going with E.T., but should I go with E.T.? And they're like, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, yeah. I always wish he would. Go home. No, be the um, doggy Richard Dreyfus. Go go for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah be adventurous, right? Um, also kind of wild that E.T., who has been separated from his family, asks Elliot, come? No, he stay with family. Yeah, stay. Yeah, yeah. Bro, Come on, don't. E. That's like across state lines for sure. <laughs> like, that's definitely that's definitely a, a felony. Yeah, um, I agree with Johnny. I think as far as children's novelizations go, this is one of the really good ones. It moves at a good pace. It has the emotional beats. It made me like that gross little monster ET. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think if I had like a nephew who was like, I like aliens, I'd be like, Have you experienced ET? And maybe the movie's a little scary, so you might want to read it first. Mm-hmm. I think it definitely has a place in a, in a young reader's library, um, especially if you can get over that gross little monster man. <laughs> I hate when his neck gets tall. It's scary. But yeah, I would recommend this to certain people, but not to like any old person who reads books. Hannah, take the baton, please. Okay. Mike. You are a single mother doing her gosh darn best with three kind of rowdy kids. They've gotten especially kind of weird lately, very secretive, always doing things in Elliot's room. And you want to give them their freedom, but you also want to engage with them. Now, it turns out that what they have been doing is hiding away a weird little alien guy who they (laughs) like and you find kind of scary. But they explain, you know, he's our friend. We like him, and you think, oh, this reminds me of a nice book I read one time. (laughs) Would you recommend the book E.T. the Extraterrestrial to your children who are experiencing E.T.? That (laughs) question... 
<laughs> my god um, so postmodern that, that that question reminds me of uh i hate to digress that question reminds me of if you've ever seen the remake of footloose which kicks off with kids listening to kenny loggins's footloose <laughs> Um, and so, it, it, and for me, it, it ruined my, the whole movie because I was like, in what, what does that, what song does that purpose serve in their world? Yeah. My, right, my wife right, is the right, same way. She has all these rules that like these. Oh my yeah. God. How is the second um, Footloose movie not called Fancy Free? Well, <laughs> you, you just have to ask Dean Pitchford, I guess. But, um, I, no, I would, I would say, um, yeah, having not read this since I was probably, 14 or 15 and being 34 now um yeah i had a i had a good time with it um i think it really it it got all of what i want out of uh et extra which as you know <laughs> in the upper percentile of uh et the extra insane people um you know am i in a couple facebook groups yeah yeah i am <laughs> um do i do i comment and post a lot yeah yeah i do um but uh yeah no i thought it was it was a lot of fun um and especially for it, again if you if you're like me and what draws you to novelizations are the the weird little aesthetic differences um to sort of get a, a handful of scenes uh that i don't know were even all shot uh in 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 the film um you know some of them i i know because i'm uh you know crazy dvd extras person and i have uh you know corresponded with people who have you know knew people who worked on the movie but there were some things i was like wow i guess that must have been in the script um and i'm looking forward to finding that out but i would i would yes i would recommend it um you know if you are um you know if you're eight to ten uh maybe eleven and you like et and uh for some reason you have access to a credit card and uh, <laughs> a, and a, a, a website where you can get books uh used that is uh preferably not amazon just a personal preference but uh no no disrespect if anybody does um no yeah i guess my full recommendation amazing andrew (laughs) yes hi you are a weird little alien guy whose neck gets long and short but his arms are always too long (laughs) you have been (laughs) abandoned (laughs) abandoned by your family slash friends slash peer group who just were like, too much trouble, we're leaving. And they just left you the heck behind. When we place. say 7 p.m. sharp, we mean 7 p.m. sharp. I'm sorry that you got cut off by a bunch of big scary trucks. Show <laughs> up. Maybe don't wander so far, little buddy. <laughs> we get it, you're a rookie. But anyway, they left you the F behind. Maybe they don't like you and they were hoping to lose you forever. This is what you get when you hire someone who's 10 million years old. It's like, you know, you need someone with experience, not a fucking, not, not, a, not a fucking child. Yeah. Anyway, so you're abandoned and lonely and scared in a place where you don't speak the language and you're a lot smaller than the other beings. And it's scary. And one of them takes you in and he's kind of your size, but like weirder looking. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And eventually you're like, it's time to start learning his language. So you play with a speak and spell. You read a bunch of picture books. And then you come across E.T. the Extraterrestrial, the book. I think you mean E.T. the Extraterrestrial, the movie. The movie. It says it in giant print <laughs> on the cover. The movie. A novelization based on the beloved classic. 
And you even read it. Even the spine it. says. Even the spine says the movie. Yeah, the spine bigger says than it says the, the title of the yes. movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, Demonstrably anyway, so you, not a movie. You read it, and you think, "Boy, do I feel for the weird little freak in this book." Do, do you recommend this book to your new human friend, or to any human friend? I recommend this book to children for the reason that I think that it does a good job of making a story more palatable for children. I think that that is like the crowning achievement of this book is it understands childhood, both in like the way it portrays the characters who are children and also what children actually might want to read and what they can relate to. So the one example, very short passage that I'll bring up is on page 58. The day that Elliot has to go to school, even though he has discovered extra and he wants to hang around and spend time with him, says, Oh, radical man, Tyler said, trying to control his laughter. This is going to be the longest day of my life, Elliot thought to himself as he watched the bus pull up to the curb. And it's like, yeah, when you're 10 years old and something exciting is happening in your life, even if it's not an extraterrestrial, going to school while you know that you are missing out on that thing feels like an eternity and you actually feel like a completely different person by the end of the day and that's just like a a very small example of Collins like remembers what that stretching of time in childhood felt like even though surely he was at an age when that wasn't happening to him anymore I personally find that things are going by so quickly that even stuff I dread goes by quickly now um, which is weird Uh, and yeah I think he just really gets what a junior novelization is supposed to do and executes it terrifically. Mike Duquette, Hollywood and Spine. If a person wanted to read it, which if they're listening to this podcast, they absolutely should be doing. Oh, I sure hope so. How do they access the content you've generated? Uh, you can sign up uh, at tinyletter.com slash Hollywood and A-N-D Spine. Um it, I do. There's an archive there. You can check it out. Uh, the most recent. Uh, well, this will come out in mid May. Okay. So the most recent novelizations we covered. We just covered uh, a Hard Day's Night. The Beatles. Ooh, uh, very cool. Um, we've done uh, West Side Story, which was very. Sh- I got into a real uh, cycle of how do you tell? Uh, how do you take movies that are, have music in them and then you just read them? And you don't have any oh, music. We've, we, we did High School Musical 3. <laughs> yeah, so we've talked about this. Ooh, I'm trying to bully imagine. everybody into doing West Side Story, but they won't. Well. Mike, you did the one that's a novelization of the play, correct? Uh, the one that came out, I guess, in 61. Uh, gotcha. Which, that's the only which one. Is, which has been, but it was reprinted several times because my copy has a .com uh, a web address for Simon and Schuster, which I was like, I did, I did a double take, and I, I, you know, it wasn't. I saw the barcode. I was like, oh yeah, I guess there were no barcodes back then. I'm like, wait a minute, visit http colon slash slash. Anyway. They put out a new one um, to correspond with the new movie, but they didn't write a new novelization for a meaningfully different movie, and I'm a little disappointed. Ooh, I can imagine. I can imagine that would be that would be bizarre. But yes, uh, Hollywood and Spine. Um, if you are so inclined, uh, you can find my other musical, uh, well, not musical, but my other, uh, writing endeavors. I am, uh, regrettably like so many people online at, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, Sir, uh, Sir Duke, D-U-Q-U-E with two underscores between Sir and Duke. 
Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram for some reason, I'm Sir Duke with one underscore. Um, I, you know, in addition to this, I, I mostly write about, uh, music, uh, catalog music is like my sort of, uh, bread and butter. Um, I run a site called the second disc, which is all about reissues, box sets, compilations, things mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, I've been published at places like Observer, Ultimate Classic Rock, uh, and a couple of other different, um, fun places. And I'm usually now after a period of, uh, using it, f- using the internet for evil, I do mostly uh, just post about when I have written things or appeared on things such as this podcast. How periodic is the periodical? Hollywood and Spine is monthly. Wonderful. Um, sometimes, I, sometimes I go absolutely bug nuts and do a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've got a like like May uh, by by mid May you will have either you will have either read about my reading of spider-man the 2002 film or you will about to read uh my account of the original star wars novelization for their respective anniversaries in 2002 and 1977 sounds extremely enticing everybody check that out this was technically a crumb even though it's not at all this was just a big crumb. i didn't know a, that going in so i took a lot of notes i apologize <laughs> no and no, i no, didn't even get a to crumb the, is a hunk I've, of bread i didn't even get to my analysis of the uh special olympics ad at the back of the book where et was going go, to go Johnny, yes. right now yeah, go. well the et was going to carry the that. second uh, the special olympic torch uh that year and there's a bunch of rules and suggestions on how you can uh get involved and just be a better person there's also an ad for uh some of the uh et video games uh for game boy and playstation and i want to play some of them all i have this All is, I have is four little pictures of there are additional it's on the yeah. inside here. Yeah, how, yes. no, uh, Hannah, how yeah, bad do know. you want the Be Good Gertie book? I, I want the Be Good Gertie book. I mean, I'd like to know what's mm. happening in it. Also, E.T. and me and a friend for E.T. Mm. Those sound really nice. Right, collect them all. So... <laughs> Technically, this was a crumb. Uh, we've stated it before. The crumb, a crumb is a minimum expectation for us. <laughs> Meaning that if we have a book that we don't really want to talk about, we can just put out a 12-minute episode. It's a crumb. If it goes however long this went, that's life, baby. So. It's the power of E.T. and the power of love and friendship. First of all, rate our podcast. Review our podcast. Subscribe to it. I know I've been doing a lot of bitter endings to the podcast. I actually really like our fans, and I really like where we are, and I, mm-hmm. I love I love making this show. Um, but just imagine the man hours that goes into this. We all read the whole book. That's a lot of hours. Anyway, follow the crumbs, and here is your next crumb. Now, everyone's just looking at me, but there will be music playing under this. What is the music from? Oh, how interesting. I wonder, the property connected to a novelization we've covered before, perhaps. Oh, who's to say? Try to figure it out. Um, good night.